Hey guys, uh, it's the fourth Sunday of Advent. We are talking about the love candle. So our scripture today is Luke two ten through fourteen. <clears throat> Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on peace, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Boom, that's awesome. Yes. Today, we remember expectation and hope. This recalls God's promises. We remember preparation and peace. Remember, this remembers the, one, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, urging people to prepare the way of the coming Lord in the candle of love and proclamation. We celebrate the announcement of the coming king and the greatness of God's love revealed through the Christ child. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for revealing yourself through Jesus, and we praise you for the greatness of your love. Help us share your peace with others and live our lives more like Christ every single day. In his name we pray, amen. Um, This is also Luke 2, 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own uh, town to be registered. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds, re- the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On this day, we celebrate the Christ candle. We rejoice that the promise of God has been fulfilled in the coming of the baby born in the manger. Please pray with me. Gracious and mighty King, we celebrate your goodness to us as we join the triumph and joy of Christmas. As your love has been revealed in all of its fullness, we pray that love may bound in our hearts during this special day. Grant us the spirit of Christ, that we may live in the fullness of his character every day. In his name we pray, amen. Good morning, River Church. So today, we finish up our Advent series, and not only 
do we finished our Advent series, but this is our final service for 2016. Yeah, you can clap. That's okay. How crazy is that, man? I was, what a year it's been, huh? As we look back and think about everything that's happened, this 2016 has been a crazy year for a, a ton of reasons, right? But just for us as a church, man, it's been an incredible year. It's been the best year we've ever had as a church. <laughs> Some of y'all are a little slow this morning. Or just not paying attention. What? Oh, we're laughing? Yeah. Wait, oh, that's good. But it's so good to be here with you this morning and, and to kind of finish this up. And uh, it's been an adventure, guys. 2016 has been an adventure, and I'm excited for um, the future. I'm excited for what it's going to look, 2017 is going to look like. And so um, as we close up our Advent series, which was focusing on and putting our hearts in the mindset of those who were waiting for the coming of Jesus, right? So there's those who um, were waiting for the coming of Jesus for thousands of years, but Advent isn't just a season of remembering um, and putting ourselves in the place of those who were waiting, but also us as Christians looking forward to and anticipating and waiting for Jesus coming again. Advent is both remembering when he came and then also looking forward to when he's going to come again one day. Um, and so it's, it's, it's beautiful, right? And so as we um, have done that this last month, we've, we've celebrated each different week of Advent in what I think is one of the coolest ways I've ever seen. I didn't come up with the idea, so I can't claim it. So I can say it's one of the coolest ideas, right? If I'm, because I'm bragging on myself, right? And so, you know, normally in, in churches, and I wanted to do that at the beginning, get an Advent wreath, right? And then you light a candle representing each different week or each different section. And um, whenever we found out we couldn't have fire in the movie theater, I was like, well, we'll just light some fake candles in the Advent wreath. And I was quickly told that was a dumb idea and we couldn't do that. And so we came up with round two, which was a painting. And so for each week, we've, we've remembered and celebrated part of Advent. And so we had week one, right, where we put our, our hearts and minds in the place of those who were hoping for the coming of Jesus who at, at, at a moment, all they had at that moment in history, all they really had was the hope that God would do what he had promised. All they had was the, the reminders in the scripture and the reminders in God's prophecy and, and his working in their lives, I guess, in their time through miracles and, and prophets and priests. All they had was that hope that God would come and fix what was broken one day. They were living in a, in a broken world, in a shattered world, a world where sin had messed up the relationship between God and man. And so the Israelites, the God's people, all they had was the hope that one day God would come and fix what was broken, like he had promised he would do. And then week two, we talked about preparation of peace. Preparing our hearts for that coming, right? Because what is, what is um, this preparation is nothing but putting our faith in action. It's having faith that God's going to do what he says he's going to do and then doing our part to prepare for what he's going to do. It's our active faith believing that God said he's going to send Jesus. And for us as Christians now, God's saying he's going to work in your life actively. He's going to move in your life actively. He's going to speak in your life actively and preparing our hearts for those moments in time when he does. It's preparing our minds for when he's going to. And so the challenge in week two was that we would um, be a church and be a people who were constantly preparing our hearts and minds for those moments when Jesus talks. Those moments when Jesus wants to move in your life. Those moments 
when he speaks to you. And so I challenge you to do that in three ways, if you remember. One was check your heart for sin. Examine your heart for, for sin that might be in your life that might get in the way and not just get in the way, but distort what God has to say to you, right? Because a lot of times what happens if we're living um, in an active and knowing willful sin, what happens is God tries to talk to you and he tries to, to give you direction and we distort that through our own lens. And we, want, we make it say something that it's not really saying, right? So the first challenge is to, to really clear your space of, of sin that, that you know that there's something going on that God's speaking you about to attack that, go after it, right? And then secondly, um, the second part of that was I challenged us to humble our hearts to hear his voice. There's, you can't go before God um, with pride in your heart or pridefully and expect him to speak to you. I mean, we'll, uh, let me take that back. He will speak to you if you're coming to him with pride, but it's going to be a beating. <laughs> it's not going to be like, oh, that's sweet, Mike. It's going to be like, all right, now we can talk. At least that's how he does it to me, right? Smacks me around a little bit. And it's like, all right, Mike, now that you're humble, we can have a conversation, right? We have to approach the king with humble hearts so that we can hear what he has to say and not through our prideful ears. And then thirdly, the challenge was move when he says move, right? When the king speaks, move. We talked about the wise men and the, the shepherds, how when the shepherds saw the angels and they proclaimed, hey, Jesus is being born, they didn't were like, all right, that's cool, let's tend the sheep. They said, let's get up and go. Go now is what they said. And the Bible says they hurried to go see Jesus. We see the wise men who were waiting on the star and they, when they saw the star that was telling them that the Savior was born, they didn't say, all right, cool, we know he's here. They followed, as we learned last week, for possibly thousands of miles to get to Jesus. There's so often... In my own life, God talks to me or he speaks to me through sermons or church services or worship or reading my Bible or prayer. And he, he says something to me and I'm like, that was good, God. Thank you. I appreciate that. My heart needed that. But I don't do anything with it. The challenge is when God speaks, be ready to move. When he talks to you, when he says, All right, here's where we're going to go, be ready to get up and go. And so week two is all about preparing our hearts for the king when he speaks. And then week three was joy. So we had hope, we had preparation of peace, and then we had joy last week. Joy was all about the response to Jesus. We talked about and looked at the coming of Jesus, right? We looked at the, the manger scene, Jesus being born, and what we looked at in those moments was how when people saw Jesus, when people met Jesus, how they responded to Jesus. And it was really amazing, right? Like we talked about the angels, they're a host of angels singing and praising and proclaiming his glory and his goodness in the sky. Well, I assume they're in the sky, right? I guess. And then, I don't know if the Bible actually says that. Maybe, yeah, it says they're, anyways, moving along. Um, and, then, and then we saw the shepherds, how when the angels came and spoke to that and proclaimed them, what did we say? They got up, they said, let's boogie, let's go. And they found Jesus, they saw Jesus, they told everybody about what they had seen, what they had heard. And then the Bible says on their way home, they rejoiced and praised God all the way home for what they had seen and heard. Right? And then we see the wise men, how they responded to Jesus. I don't know, the wise men, I, I relate to not because I'm like rich and important, right? Because the wise men are like these rich, important dudes, these, these guys who had a lot of power and prestige. But, so not relate, but I think it's probably my favorite one because in our world, we see people who are rich and powerful and seem like they have it all together. They have a really hard time humbling their hearts before the king, I think. Especially in our world of like, anyways, I'm not gonna, but it's just crazy, right? It's hard whenever you think you have it all together, you have everything, you got the rich power. But what is their response? They see the star, 
they follow the star to the Savior, and then the Bible says they walk in the room, and as soon as they see Mary and they see the King, Jesus, the baby, what happens? These wise men, these important men, these rich men, it says they fall to their knees and they worship the King. I love that, man, because the correct response to Jesus is always fall on your knees and worship the King. I love that. It doesn't matter where you are in life, whether you're the lowly shepherds, whether you're the angels who, who knew all about God and Jesus, right? Or whether you're um, the wise men, the response. It's never, a, let me put it this way, it's never a wrong, it's never a wrong response to worship Jesus, right? Like there's sometimes in our lives where we don't know what to do. Have you ever experienced that? Where you're like walking through life, you're like, I'm not sure what to do. I don't know what my next step is. I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. But it's never a wrong move to worship Jesus in that moment. I guess we'll just worship Jesus for a little bit, right? That's never a bad thing. And so we saw the response of the wise men and the angels and the shepherds was to worship Jesus. Even if they didn't fully comprehend what was happening, their response was to worship Jesus. So this week, we're going to finish up with focusing on love, which is beautiful. I love that. And then Christ. Incredible, right? Y'all give it up for Brittany and Joel, man. They did an incredible job on these things. So as we finish up in celebrating these two, I think they come together and they take us to a place of understanding the why it was such a right response to fall down and worship the king. Like the response of joy, they see Jesus. The response to Jesus was for the angels, the wise men, the shepherds to worship. That was the overwhelming response, even if they didn't understand all of what was happening. But this week, as we celebrate the love of Christ, the love of God, and the Christ candle, I want us to look at why it's so inspiring, why it's so awe-inspiring and amazing for us to worship. So it's so awe-inspiring and amazing that it should lead us to worship the King. Why it's such a big deal. Why, if you've been paying attention, I've been calling this um, the incarnation or this time the greatest miracle in the Bible. So today I want to talk about how it was love that created this miracle. I want to talk about how, um, as we remember God's love for us, so I want, and we see what his love motivated him to do for us. So I'm going to read um, what Molly and Stephen read already, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It said, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governor was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who he was engaged to him and was pregnant. And while they were there, there came time for her to give birth. When she gave birth to her firstborn son, she wrapped him in snuggly cloth, and laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for him at the lodging place. This story that we just read is, it doesn't sound like that big of a deal, right? Like if you think of like, like the, it's almost like Luke, it's not a side note, but it's like, all right, they went to go get registered and then Mary had a baby, right? It's just kind of like a side note and then they move on to the wise men or the shepherds. But it's this huge, incredible thing that has impacted our world ever since, right? Like, you know something's a big deal when we measure time by it, 
you know? So this, this, this thing, the birth of Jesus is called the incarnation, right? So what does incarnation mean? Incarnation means the enfleshing of something, which sounds, that sounds like really bad, right? The enfleshing, but it's something becoming flesh. So the incarnation is this, it's the union of two things, humanity and God, humanity and divinity becoming one. It's the enfleshing, it's the humanizing, I guess, of the divinity. That sounds kind of crazy, don't you think? It's basically the, the divine meeting humanity. It's God becoming man and at the same time becoming, being still fully God. Is anybody's like mind blown thinking about that? God being fully man and fully God at the same time. You can't be 100% two things, right? And yet Jesus is. I, the reason why I wanted to go this direction this morning with this is because I think so often we take for granted Christ's humanity. I think so often we think about um, the, the things that he did on earth, his, the miracles, the rising from the dead, kind of a big one, right? Um, we think about all these things that he did while he was on earth, but we leave out, we forget him leaving heaven to become man. Like we get that he was man and God at the same time, but I think we forget what a big deal it was for God to leave heaven and become man. We, we miss out or forget the miracle that was him leaving his status as God to become one of us, a lowly man. He voluntarily becomes low for our sake. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. We should do a, a study on, on Philippians. It's a pretty good book. Actually, we already did this first. Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7 says this. Jesus, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Hear this. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave. It says he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave. What does that mean? 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 kind of reiterates this. It says, though he was rich, talking about Jesus, though he was rich, what does that mean? Him in heaven as God, rich. For your sake, he became poor, that so through his poverty, you might become rich. What is that talking about? It's the incarnation. It's Jesus, God, becoming man. It's though he was rich, meaning he's existing in the heavenly realms as God having all power at his fingertips, having the universe at his fingertips, having everything at his fingertips, stooping down to become, it says he was rich, giving up those riches to become a lowly, as the Bible calls it, slave. That's kind of insulting, right? Slave, I'm not a slave, do what I want, right? Jesus giving up his place in heaven to lower himself to become human, assuming the role of us. Imagine, right, being God. <laughs> Just imagine for a moment if you were God. Your problem, half of you are like, I'd kill this person and this person and this person. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dead. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but imagine being God and, for a, and being um, unlimited in your nature. Existing outside of even time, right? Existing outside of time, having everything, all power at your fingertips, and then suddenly being confined to a human body. Being confined to humanity. What would that be like? That is like going to, and that would be, that'd be like going from being a human to being like an ant or something. You'd be really fast and you could lift stuff, but it's not something I would want to do, right? It's not something I would want to do. And becoming human 
Jesus is born just like any other child. He's possessing a full range of human characteristics. So like, that means like us physically, um, he possessed a human body, which means he got tired. We see in the scriptures where he gets tired. The Bible says he, he grew weary, right? We see him getting hungry. That means like as a baby, he needed to be fed. Can you imagine baby Jesus, like Mary having to feed baby Jesus? Like for some reason, I never thought about that. I just assumed he's like, I'm good, mom. I got this. I just, my body just doesn't need food, right? But he did. Mentally, he developed. Luke says in his gospel that Jesus increased in wisdom, meaning as he grew, his brain developed. He got smarter. He got uh, more intelligent. His brain grew. He learned just like any other child. Like he didn't come out of um, the womb just saying like these deep theological words like, you know, righteousness and propitiation and community, right? He had to learn how to say mom and dad. Think about that. Could you imagine Mary, mom, mom? Or is that, I sneak, sometimes I have, I'll walk in a room and Katie's with Gideon and she's, mom, mom, mom. What's going on? What's happening, woman? Betrayal, right? <laughs> he had human emotions, just like us. He got upset at times. He got angry at times. He got sad at times. We see uh, when his friend Lazarus passed away, Jesus crying. We see when, um, we see whenever they were defiling the temple, him angry and flipping tables over. We see Jesus possessing a full range of emotions, right? We see Jesus lowering himself to be us. And this is a big deal, not just for the whole like dying on the cross and saving you from your sins thing, which is like the biggest deal, but it's a big deal because that means that we have a God who can identify with us. It means that we have a Savior who walked this earth and knows what you've gone through. He knows the pain that you felt at times. He knows the joy that you've felt at times. He knows the suffering that you felt at times to probably an even more degree, right? Stronger degree. And it's a big deal because like, have you ever gone through something in life and you had somebody come up to you and they're trying to help you and they're like, oh, I know this is hard and I, I just, I know what you're going through. And you're like, man, no, you don't. You don't know what I'm going through. You haven't experienced this. Like you're dealing with something really hard and somebody who has no idea what you've gone through coming up trying to console you and talk to you, right? The amazing thing about Christ's incarnation becoming human is that he does know what you've gone through. He does know what you've experienced because he put on flesh and lived a human life. When we pray to Jesus, we aren't praying to someone who's unknowing or unrelating. God becoming man is an incredible miracle because just in the fact that now he can relate to you and understand you in a whole different way, it speaks to his love for us. But he's, he wasn't just man, right? So he didn't just become man and like now he's not God anymore. As a matter of fact, right, we talk about he's fully God and fully man, the divine meeting the human. So we see God's humanity on display all over the scriptures and um, his full range of emotions, the fact that he was born, had to grow up, had to learn. But we also see his divinity on display all throughout the Bible, right? We see his divinity throughout display continually. We see his power over death and disease. Like we see him healing lepers. We see him healing the blind. We see him healing the lame. Like Jesus, through his words, heals people. That's a pretty like God thing to do, don't you think? Like when Jesus walks into, walks into the situation, there's a, le- a lame man on the ground 
walking Jesus is like, get up. It's amazing. Because I could try that, right? Like, you know, get up. Nothing. Jesus says, get up, and what happens? He gets up. So we see his power over sickness. We see his power over nature, right? You guys remember the story in Matthew chapter 8? It's kind of a funny one if you think about it, where they're in the boat, and the, he's in the boat with all of his disciples, and the storm hits, and the rains are, are hard, and the winds are blowing the boat all over the place, and the disciples, they, what happens? They start freaking out, right? They get scared. They're like, we're going to die out here on this stinking boat, and so they wake up Jesus, and they're real scared, and what does Jesus do? He's like, all right, you guys relax. Y'all calm down. Winds, stop. And the winds stop, right? We see his power over nature. And what, how, is the, how do the disciples respond? They're like, who is this man that even the winds and the rains listen to him? What are they saying? This is something only God can do. Exactly. We see his authority over sin and that he forgives sin. When he heals people, he says, go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. And this is one of the reasons why the Pharisees kill him, right? You guys remember that? The Pharisees are getting angry at Jesus. Why? Because they're saying, you can't forgive sins. Only God is allowed to forgive sins. Only God can forgive. Exactly. Only God can forgive sins. So, I mean, they try to kill him over and over because he's just like forgiving people of their sins. They try to kill him and they can't kill him. Also because he was God. And then Finally, we see, so we see his control over sickness. We see his control over nature. We see his uh, control over sin and his ability to forgive sin. And finally, maybe the most incredibly, we see his power over death. We see it in his friend Lazarus, right? When he cries, we experience his humanity as he cries for his friend Lazarus. And then we see his divinity as he says, Lazarus, get up. And he does. And then most incredibly, we see his power over death in himself as he raises himself from the dead. It's amazing. The incarnation, the doctrine of Jesus being fully human and fully God is the most extraordinary miracle in the Bible. It's, it's mind-blowing, right? But at the same time, if you think about it, it makes everything else make perfect sense, right? So like, it's not so impressive to walk on water if you're the one that created that water. It's not so impressive to feed the 5,000 with a couple loaves of bread and some fish if you're the one that created the fish and created their stomachs. It's even not so amazing or mind-blowing to raise yourself from the dead if you're the one that created life and death and even time. As a matter of fact, it makes perfect sense. If you created life, why couldn't you control life? It's the most profound mystery, and yet... The most incredible miracle. So here he is, right? The baby in the manger. The one who was promised God fulfilling his prophecy and his promise in the most miraculous of ways. He is the one who can do what neither people of the Old Testament or the anointed prophets, the priests, the kings could do. They had all, prom they had all been promised that one would rise up one who would make good on the promises that God had given them, the promises that everyone else had failed to do, the thing that all they could do was hope for. Jesus Christ, here he is, God in the flesh, this most amazing miracle, giving up his place in the heavenly realm to come to earth to put 
love on display for you. Remember in Genesis, if you guys remember in week one, we actually talked about this. In Genesis, God makes a promise that one day he's going to bring the one who's going to crush the head of Satan. Now God delivers on that promise a man to come and save us from sin. The same God who in Genesis is creating is now recreating and redeeming, making a way for you and for me to crush sin and death and hell forever. That baby in the manger, the one wrapped in the swaddling clothes, the one that when the wise men saw, they couldn't help but fall on their knees before him. He's come to take the hurt in our lives and turn it into joy. He's come to take the suffering in our lives and turn it into satisfaction. He's come to take the rebellion in our spirits. Watch out now. The rebellion in our spirits and clothe us in righteousness. He's come to heal. He's come to restore. He's come to fix what was broken. He's come to heal the sick. He's come to feed the hungry. He's come to bless the poor. He's come to bind the brokenhearted. But ultimately, he's come to seek and to save the lost. Every single one of us sitting in this room, he came to seek and to save you. The most incredible, miraculous miracle of all. He came to atone for our sin. Atonement means averting punishment. It's something that we do to get out of punishment. Here we see Jesus coming to atone for the divine punishment. Throughout the entire Old Testament, we see one thing. Sin is serious and sin must be punished. And just as clearly as we see that sin is serious and sin must be punished, we see a God who wants to provide a way for us to be forgiven and healed and saved and redeemed. A God who wants to provide salvation. And ultimately, that's what Jesus came to do. That's what he promised to do. The one that we have been waiting on for centuries is now here. The one that we had been waiting for for centuries is now here. The one that they had been preparing for for centuries is now here. The one who gives us joy as we see him and we fall before him and worship him is now here. All religions have martyrs, but Jesus' death on the cross was no martyrdom. As a matter of fact, it was a sacrifice, a willing sacrifice that he gave for you and for me. For the Christian, he redeems us, he saves us, he transforms us, he heals us, he offers us life if we would just ask forgiveness of our sin and fall into relationship with him. That's why this season is such a miracle. Because we have God becoming flesh for no other purpose than for you. We see Jesus becoming a servant, giving up his heavenly rights to live as a man. This baby in the manger is here to die for us. So today we celebrate this greatest miracle of all, the one that they had hoped for, the one that we had prepared for, the one who now brings us joy as we worship him, the one who has put love on display. God in the flesh, the Savior has come to heal us of our sin. So let us fall before him and worship him and be healed today.
be healed. As we close our Advent series, let us worship the King because God is here and He's come to seek and to save you. Not some lost person out there that you don't know. He's come to seek and to save you. And that doesn't stop once we become Christians. The healing doesn't stop. Let's let our God heal our souls today. The promise has been fulfilled. Let us rest in it and take every incredible advantage that God offers us so that, like the scripture said, he was rich who became poor so that now we can be rich in him. I'm going to pray this morning. Let's worship our king. This final service of the year, let's give him all that we have. Father, I love you. Thank you so much for today. You are so good and you are so kind and we worship your name, God. You, Jesus in the flesh, this incredible miracle, God becoming man for us. God, you heal and you restore and you you fix the brokenhearted and you feed the hungry and you meet our needs. But most importantly, you you came for us to put love on display for us. You came to seek and to save us, Father. So now our correct response is to worship you. It's to fall on our knees before the King and worship. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.